Okay. Today we have Monty A. Melnick, former tour manager of the Ramones for their entire career. Is that right? Were you were you the tour manager for almost their entire existence? Yeah, well, I started off working at Sound for them, and then I worked my way to world manager tour manager. Wow. I mean, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, they played, and you played along with them, over 2,200 shows. Well, their total shows that they, they did was 2,263 shows for their career. I was there for about over 2,200 of them, roughly, maybe a little more. And this was across 22 years, right? Yes, yes. And I list them all in the back of my book there, all the dates. Yeah, and, and I, like I mentioned to you before, I mean, I, I just, I finished your book on the road with the Ramones. And I mean, it, I mean, it was total rock and roll. I mean, I can't think of another band in history that lived 22 years of pure rock, pure mayhem, played every city, every country, and turned into this iconic band. Right? They turned into this like uh, they turned into this iconic band that I mean they were more popular after they kind of all passed. Is that right? Absolutely, yes. That's a, that's a sad part about that, is that the you know the four originals that were in the group, Johnny, Joey, Dee Dee, Tommy are all passed away. And you know, there's still a couple of them out there, uh, Marky, CJ, Richie. But the four originals are passed away, which is really sad about that. And they, you're right, they are bigger than they were when they were around, unfortunately, you know? I mean, fortunately they're bigger, but the, they, they, the original people couldn't see this, you know? I have a joke now I tell a thousand billion times that if the Ramones were this big when I was working for them, I would have gotten a big raise. Yeah. <laughs> You know, people say Ramones, Stones, Beatles, Ramones in the same sentence. I'm, I'm amazed. You know, it's really, really great. Now, how did you survive the whole ride? Who says I survived? <laughs> <laughs> well, you're here. Oh, yeah, you're right. <laughs> how, you know, you just, I enjoyed what I was doing, you know. Otherwise, I wouldn't have stuck around for all those 20-something years, you know. You know, traveling, seeing the world, going to different cities, countries. But, you know, I had to deal with the, the band and crew, too. And so it's, it's, a, it's a big job. Tour manager, road managers, it's a big job. People don't realize it. That's why I try to put in my book what it's like the people that are underneath the band, too. I talk to, like, a lot of crew and stuff like that, and I show, you know, tour passes and itineraries and explain what it's like being a tour manager. So what was your favorite city that you ever visited when you were traveling not, with the band? It's not a favorite city. I, I enjoyed Japan a lot because it was so different than everywhere else in the world, you know, basically, you know, you know, you go to Europe, you kind of people look like you and your relatives running around, whatever, but Japan just, just like totally different. It's the culture, the food, the way they look. I can always see Joey in the crowd because he was like, a foot taller than everybody else, you know. I could spot him right away. <laughs> and 
I, I just enjoyed that. I enjoyed going to Japan a lot. Japan, and and is it true? I mean, is there any place the band didn't go that they oh. wish they did, or or do they pretty much conquer the entire well, world at that? There's there's a lot of places that that they didn't go to. Um, well, Russia was one, but they had a, they couldn't get into Russia with a, an album called Rocket to Russia. They were anti communist at the time. You know, India, China, stuff like that. I would like to go gone there, but we never got around to those those things. There's a lot of countries we weren't in. You know, we did play a lot of countries though. Now, I mean, you're really considered the fifth Ramon. Well, I gotta put a, a damper on that. Actually, Marky's the fifth Ramon. And it goes up from there, Marky, Richie, CJ, blah, blah, blah. Maybe ninth or tenth Ramon, if you want to say that. But the fifth Ramon actually is Marky. I get it. Yeah, because they had a couple of different members in the band. But, okay. But still, I mean, it's been said that you were the guy that kind of, in a way, held the band together, sobbed feuds, and just kind of sobbed. I mean, right? There always needs to be someone around that band that kind of keeps the band together, right? Well, that's a job. The, the tour manager, road manager, is to keep uh, things glued together and be diplomatic about it. Not only had to deal with the crazy band, but crazy crews too. So double the amount of crazy people you have to deal with and juggle. You got to juggle and be diplomatic. And sure, you have to hold things together. Otherwise, things fall apart. And then, where are you? You know. Now, did you ever think that when you were tour managing the Ramones, that you'd be part of literally a a revolution, a kind of part of rock and roll history no you know when you're working and you're doing things in those early years uh, you don't you don't think about things like that you're just doing a job working getting ready for the next tour in the tour the next day and et cetera, et cetera. you don't really say hey wow you know i mean i knew working their way up from the where they started to where they ended i could see things were getting better and better and better which is nice you know so i kind of understood that there were something was going on there that was really registering with people. So you said you noticed that things were getting better, better, and better. Yeah. Okay. Now. As they it, got better and better and better too. I mean, they, if you look at some early shots of the Ramones and CBGBs, they were, you know, they, they worked hard about what to get to where they were. You know what I mean? They worked very hard. They rehearsed a lot. They started from scratch and uh, they worked their way up. Now, it didn't happen overnight. No, 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 definitely not. And, but the Ramones, right? And I never thought about this, but they actually had, they had the songs, the attitude and the look. I mean, they had it, right? I mean, the, the, the jeans, the hair, the logo, everything just kind of fit perfectly. Now, was this something that evolved over time or was this something that, like, there was a lot of strategizing about? No, those it evolved over time. The Ramones came from the where the glam rock period was kind of phasing out. Now, if you look at some early shots of the Ramones, they were wearing you know, like, like leopard shirt and a silk pants, and you know they they were kind of phasing in from glam rock. I guess they they like the dolls and stuff like that, but they realized it's too expensive for those those the clothes of those days, you know. Granny takes a trip and all those crazy stores. So you buy these clothes. It's too expensive. They fit. We're not going to buy these clothes anymore. We'll just wear what we wear in the street, which is jeans and leather jackets. 
and the jeans were ripped because they were, you know, they were old, you know. When I was growing up, I had a rip in my jeans. I put a patch in it, you know. They didn't do that. They just left it like that. And they said, okay, we'll just, this is the way we're going to be. It evolved, you know, it, it took a little time, like a year or so between the glam rock and the punk rock period to uh, get the whole look together. So basically what you're saying is the band didn't have a lot of money to buy the expensive clothes. So they kind of dressed down very minimalistic if really pretty much what they could afford. Just what they were wearing in the street, basically. Now, this was contrary to what other kind of acts doing at their time, right? Because you had, as you mentioned, you had the New York Dolls and all those other kind of glam kind of, even Kiss at that point, right? Were kind oh, of yeah. just... Yeah, sure. Slade, Kiss, Dolls. Well, it was glam rock period. That Bowie, you know. And they, 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 like, they like these groups and they try to, and in, in the beginning, they kind of like uh, look a little bit like them, but didn't work out well because they couldn't afford all those clothing. clothing and they figured that they look better with the street clothes. Now, when the Ramones were getting popularity, you know, in their area, in New York, you know, their influences at the time, you know, like like the those glam rockers, did they actually embrace the Ramones? Did they like them? Or were they kind of like, kind of outcasted by those acts? Well, you know, a lot of people in the early years, CPGBs were other bands watching other bands. That was the only people in the place. So they got friendly with all those people in the groups, you know. They like they went to the, they went to see the, the other groups and the other groups come to see them. It was a friendly atmosphere, basically. It, it was a friendly atmosphere. Yeah, yeah, because I mean, they, as I said, the early years of CBs, the only people in the audience was other groups watching other groups, basically, in the early years. Now, despite their huge cult following, they never achieved mainstream success, and it's ironic, right? Because how many songs can I listen to the average person? They would be like, well, what do you mean they have never achieved mainstream success? I, I know all their songs. I go to clubs. I hear cover bands perform. I want to be sedated. But the truth is, right, they, they never achieved this mainstream success, never had number one songs. Until after they retired and uh, they passed away, most of them, yeah. That, I, that's basically close to the... U.S. radio wouldn't play them, but couldn't get on U.S. stations here. And we couldn't, you know, so people in the early years, people didn't hear, know what the Ramones were, were about, you know. But you know what's funny is probably when the Ramones were around, everyone wanted to be on the radio. But like today, now it's cool if you're not on the radio. The internet to take taken over now. So it's a whole different world now with the internet. You know. Do you think the Ramones could embrace this new world if they were in it? Like, do you think it was their personality, or would they be doing different things? Well, they would embrace it. They were they were always looking for different things to get on the mainstream. That's why they kept on changing producers over the years. They just wanted to get that hit. You know, Phil Spector, John Bois, Grant Gulman. They kept on going, like, you know, of course, Tommy and uh, Ed Stacey did a great job in the beginning and Craig Leon and all that. But they, they wanted to, but they couldn't get on the radio, you know? So they said, well, let's try different producers. And that's why they went through all these different producers over the years to try to get on the, the radio, which the radio just wouldn't play them. I think the, the Sex Pistols, like, poisoned the whole atmosphere here in the States, basically. Because the 
the radio station. So, like the Sex Pistols do idiotic things in a station and they'll spit and they'll curse and they'll throw up. And the Ramones are the same thing. They didn't realize it wasn't the same thing. But they got, uh, you know, it was a, it hurt the Ramones, basically. Well, I never thought about that. So the Sex Pistols were really were the ones that prevented the Ramones from achieving mainstream success. And in the States, yeah. In the States. Wow. That's my view of it. Well, that that that's that's a pretty um pr- pr- pretty um plausible explanation. I mean, you know, because in the early years, all these kids would listen to the Ramones. And then in later years, after they retired and passed away, all these kids grew up and got into positions where they could put the Ramones at the soundtracks, movie soundtracks, put the Ramones at their commercials. So you couldn't get before that, you know, TV commercials, soundtracks, more people in the radio station. The kids grew up and they were in the radio station and started playing the Ramones more. That's why the Ramones became, got bigger, 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 because all these kids were listening to them, grew up and put them and started putting them on all these different uh, medias, you know? So would you say that the Sex Pistols kind of spoiling it for them and everybody else, do you think it was a bad move for them? I mean, do you do you like, hey, they should have toned it down? What? Bad move for who? Well, everybody. Like, I mean, the Sex Pistols, kind of what you mentioned about going on the radio stations, throwing up, you know, spitting. Like, do you think that was, they should have toned it down? Well, they, that was them, you know what I mean? Yeah. They, they weren't going to tone anything down, you know. They wanted to be that way, and that's where they the way they were, you know. They they worked at that, <laughs> <laughs> right? But at the right, totally, you're right. But at the same time, kind of being themselves, but in the you know chopping themselves off from any kind of you know mainstream success, future opportunity. But 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 like you said, the Ramones were different because unlike the Sex Pistols, they they did want to embrace the mainstream and like. You know, as he said, that's why Joey Ramone wanted to work with like a producer like Phil Spector, but he was a crazy guy, wasn't he? <laughs> that's one word for him. Yeah, it was. It was difficult. I mean, we big Phil Spector fans. We really, you know, appreciated what he was, what he did over the years. He was a genius in his producing, but we didn't realize meeting him. You know, he came back in 1977. We played the Whiskey a Go Go and. LA and he came backstage and said, I want to work with you guys. And back then at this picture of him in the book, he looked, he was wearing a cape and uh, he looked like the devil, you know, but <laughs> he has bodyguards and he had guns on, but he said, he came back actually after the show and said, I want to work with you guys. So finally Seymour Stein got him to produce the album. We didn't know how, I mean, just looking at him at that time, we should have gotten some sort of hint of what he was really like, <laughs> you know, but uh, working with it was difficult. It was very difficult. Did you have any confrontations with Phil? Sure, yeah. I mean, I was there the whole time. Uh, and, uh, you know, he had guns on him. And uh, he was very quirky. He didn't like people in the studio. He wouldn't let people like Alan Arkish, the director of Rockwell High School, came by once he kicked them out of the studio. And, and he had his ways of producing, uh, you know, the uh, songs. He'd make Johnny place things over and over and over again. And it's driving Johnny crazy. And, uh, we were, one time we were, we were going to leave the studio and he 
came up to me and said, you rush, give me the keys, you're not leaving, you're not leaving, because I was driving the van at the time. Um, he was a, quite a character, let me tell you. We were up at his house a couple of times. To get in and out of his house, he had to be let in and out with a key. He couldn't just walk in and walk out. You know, He kept us hostage up there for hours watching some crazy horror movie at one time. He was a quirky guy, and he saw what happened to the guy. What happened to him, unfortunately. Now, do you think he was crazy or like always crazy, or do you think he he lost his mind over time? I think he was always pretty much eccentric, let's put it that way, in a way that, uh, you know, people would see things that uh, would say were crazy, but, you know, he has ways of doing things. And he was like, he liked his guns too, you know, and his bodyguards. So he was eccentric, dangerous. Yeah, you saw what happened. He got put away for like uh, supposedly killing that woman. Now, and, he, and you know, John Lennon, he shot off his gun in the studio. He never pointed the gun at us or anything, but he had it. He took it out and put it on the console once. And you can see that as ankle holster and stuff like that. But he, he ended up producing one of the Ramones album, though, right? He which which album was that he produced? End of century. And, right, okay. And it did pretty well, right? Yeah, I think that was one of the bigger selling albums. And who was it? Was it Johnny that did not like it? I think Johnny and uh, Dee Dee didn't care for it too much. Marty and Joey liked it. And was it because of what do you think divided? the band over that album was it the songs or just kind of the production probably probably the overproduction of it you know because they were used to just a minimal minimal type of production you know and he was putting violins on and stuff like that just you know all right basically but they don't you know johnny wanted to get back to the basic punk rock stuff you know now as a tour manager did he ever have any input with the creative aspect of the band no just no I mean, you know, I would just basically, uh, I went, went with them. Well, they kept me around, which was lucky. Usually a tour manager goes out on tour, comes back, then it's got to look for another band. But they kept me around for the whole thing because I was working with them on the videos and the, during the movie and getting rehearsals together. They rehearsed a lot. After they would do a couple tour, a tour for a month or so, come back and rehearse for a couple of weeks, go back on tour. So I was always involved in getting things together. So they kept me around for the whole the whole business you know on salary which is nice but they also must have got along with you obviously as well yeah they had to <laughs> <laughs> you're there every day except uh talking about end of the century uh album uh people come up to me and ask me you know what's your favorite ramon song you know, i do have a, i like a lot of ramon songs but they do have a favorite ramon song it's on the album end of the century are you familiar with the songs on end of the century yeah album? yeah uh, would you know which song I like? I uh, would be my favorite song on that album. Can I guess? Yeah, guess. Go ahead. All right, let me see. Let me, let me do a little guessing. All right, we'll Google it. Well, I'm not, no, I'm just going to get all the songs. I can't write off all the songs in my head, but I'm going to. Uh, I'm going to guess your favorite song. Okay. I am going to guess your favorite song. All right, here we go. It's going to be hard with the title, basically. All right. So, 
All right. All right. Do you remember rock and roll radio? No. I'm affected. No. Danny says no. Chinese rock. No. The return of Jack and Judy. No. Let's go. That's too. Baby, I love you. <laughs> the Phil Spector <laughs> song. Um, I would say. I would say this ain't Havana. No, keep on going. All the way. There you go. Okay, close. You know why? Why? Joey wrote me into the song. Really? Monty's, Monty's driving me crazy. It's just like being in the Navy. So you asked me what they felt about me. That's how Joey felt. I was driving crazy. <laughs> Were you? Did you spend time in the Navy? No. Okay. <laughs> but he thought that, you know, I'm driving crazy. Like being an, you know, it's kind of right. Sure, sure, sure. Now, now, and also the cover of that album, they 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 didn't like because they were that was the first cover or the only cover they ever had that they weren't wearing leather jackets on. Oh, that's right. So they two of them liked it, two of them didn't like it. But they that was a Mick Rock, by the way, the famous Mick Rock photographer did the cover for that. And on the inside sleeve, or another they did. He did the shoot of some um, uh, one shot with them with leather jackets. Spencer Drade is a designer for that album. He put them in on the inner sleeve or, or a single or something like that with the leather jackets. But the, the cover they didn't like. Well, Johnny and Dee Dee didn't like it. Now, now you know what's amazing is reading that book, and I know most artists argue don't get along for the most part, but what's interesting with the Ramones is that it seemed like they, you know, when they got on stage, they put on a great act, but when they were off stage, they were like this, this functional marriage. But what's interesting is that it was their dysfunction at, that may have kept the band together because it was like, listen, nothing personal. I don't like you. You don't like me. This is a personal relationship. You know, we're a popular band iconic band let's keep it going is that a right description yeah dysfunction sounds like a school of rock song dysfunction junction dysfunction junction it yeah. was conjunction time. right 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 anyhow uh, <laughs> well <laughs> there's a reason for that i mean how many marriages last 20 something years between uh, johnny and john right i mean marriages seem, don't last like one than five years today but yeah so what they realized was basically you know the lady I mean, they're friends in the beginning because they started the group together it's just the thing with Linda and all that uh, kind of put a, a wedge between them. But they realized that why fight? Why, you know, get into a fist fight or whatever over that? And they realized the music was more important. You know, that they were putting out good music. They cut on stage. The fans were there. You know, it's like getting on stage. It's 30,000 people and they're feeding back. And holy oh, mac, that's a high. Do you play an instrument, right? You know, like, yeah, like, yeah, of course. You know, it's like when you go on stage and you're playing great, you get, you're getting high because. If you're doing it well, you know, the audience is feeding back and you're you're getting high off of it. That's why a lot of people, uh, groups, when they come off stage, they want to continue the high. They keep on drinking and doing drugs or keep continue that high going. That's a problem. But they realize why break up, you know, just uh, don't have minimal after the shows, you know, don't have a lot of contact or don't hang out with them after, you know, 
when they come off tours and stuff like that. They kept them to a minimum, and that's why they stayed together for all those years. They realized the bigger thing, it's kind of like a match, the kids. Keep the kids happy, stay in the marriage, you know what I mean? So that's why the music was more important. Well, that's pretty amazing because today, bands can't, the new bands today, they can't survive 22 years of marriage. I mean, they, they can't even survive six months of marriage. I don't know. They're, they're really not getting the benefit of what they're doing then, you know, going on stage, putting out great new songs, having people enjoy the music, going on stage, you know, crowds feeding back and all that. It's, it's there, you know. So, you know, people don't get along they, they, they don't get along but they they managed that they managed to do that all those years they they came up with that compromise now for the most part right i mean johnny and joey i mean they didn't speak really for the 22 year history right <laughs> yeah well, <laughs> i got a little bit blown basically i had to talk to each other right sure sure they just kept the two minutes you know? here's the right. set Here's what we're going to record. Here's some songs. We'll fly in the studio. Blah, 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 blah. It's just they kept it to a minimum. They didn't hang out after the show. They didn't go socialize. It, just, it was just a business. Keep it together. Got to go on stage. Then they were cooking on stage. You know, they knew they were fine together on stage. So they realized that was the best thing to do. Keep it together. So it seems like, though, what was really cool is that the band was kind of shunned by the mainstream media. But during the 90s, later 90s, you had the new bands that came on the scene, like Pearl Jam, Soundgarden, Nirvana. And they were more kind of those punkish kind of bands that honored their roots, like Pearl Jam honored Neil Young. And they started bringing back bands that people may have missed over, right? So Eddie Vedder was a big fan of the Ramones, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, here's what happened. <clears throat> In the early years, the Ramones went out, played all over the place, the country, you know, all the world. All these kids saw them and said, hey, they're not doing anything unbelievable. You don't have to be Eric Clapton on the guitar or drum solos and stuff like that. And they realized there's something there. We could do the same thing. And all these groups formed after the Ramones left the different cities and the countries over the you know, around the world and the country and the United States. Pearl Jam was one of them. Eddie Vedder was a huge Ramones fan. He hung out with the Ramones later on in the 90s. Uh, Metallica, Soundgarden. When we played Lollapalooza, 96, finally, they got us on Lollapalooza. It was Metallica, Soundgun, Rancid, Ramones. So I put the Ramones on stage, and I'm standing there. All these other groups came out. They were standing on the side of the stage. They're huge fans because they grew up with the Ramones. They, they realized, and they went and they became friends with the Ramones. They said, we were kids when we saw you guys, and we formed the groups because of you guys. It's amazing. I mean, you too. He wrote, they wrote the song The Miracle of Joey Ramone on their album. Bono's a huge Ramones fan. That's amazing. All these groups, that's the legacy of the Ramones, basically. It's kind of like Johnny Appleseed. They plant, he planted apples all over the place. The Ramones went out and showed kids that they can do the same thing. It wasn't that difficult. If you had a good song, you played confidently, you know? 
And they were nominated, right? They're, they're inducted in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. What year was that? 2001 or two? Two. Did you go to that? Yeah. That was like uh, my gold watch. They bought a ticket for me. I was there for the whole thing. And, uh, unfortunately, Joey had passed away, which is a sad thing. Also, Green Day's a huge Ramones fan. Fans. They were big Ramones fans. So at, during, usually at the ceremony, the band goes up and plays songs, but Johnny didn't want to play without Joey there. So Green Day actually went up on stage during the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and played all the Ramones songs that day. They were wow. huge Ramones fans. Billy, Billy Joe Armstrong's a big Ramones fan. So in that band, like who was the main creative force? Well, over the years, I mean, in, in the beginning, they were all the great creative force. Tommy was, Tommy was the architect of Ramones, basically. I mean, he first came in, basically, he just wanted to produce them and manage them. And they were a three-piece group when they brought them at the performance studios. I read the whole thing in my book about performance studios there. I got involved with uh, Tommy. We built the place, we managed the place, and the time for our own groups there. He brought in the Ramones as a three-piece group. Joe was on drums. Didi singing and uh, Johnny on guitar. He just wanted to produce them. So he said, basically, Tommy was the architect and he pulled Joey off the drums. Didi was having a hard time singing and he heard Joey had a good voice and pulled Joey off the drums and then they started looking at the drummers. Nobody could understand what they were doing in the beginning. And Tommy said, okay, here's play. Like, he was a guitar player. He wasn't a drummer, but he's a great musician. He sat in and tried to show these drummers what to do, but they were so raw in the beginning, nobody could understand. So he joined the group. And, the, you know, Johnny, uh, I mean, uh, Joey, Dee Dee, and Tommy were the main songwriters at the time. Jo Johnny pitched it a lot, too, but they were the main songwriters in the beginning of the group. Yeah. It's, a, now, it's a long story there, so I'll just abbreviate it a little bit. There. Yeah, and no, totally. So now another thing, when Joey passed... I mean, a lot of things were revealed, like kind of what he was dealing with. Like, I mean, right, he had this rare disease called, what is that disease OCD, called? OCD, Obsessive Compulsive Disorder. Right. Now, usually like OCD is something where you wash your hands a lot. You know, you want to make sure, was he a germ freak? Not a germ freak, but he liked to do things over and over again. In the beginning, early years, nobody knew what it was, you know, it, They'd hadn't diagnosed that particular thing. So everybody thought, you know, why are you doing this? You're, you're crazy. You know, don't stop doing it. He'd like go off the sidewalk, come back, back and forth on the sidewalk or open and close the door a million times. Not necessarily washing his hands because I wasn't in the bathroom all the time watching him. But uh, he did things over and over again. And later on, they, they, you know, they found out it was just, it was a chemical imbalance and he, he, was, he took some drugs for it. It helped him a bit, but he still had it over the years. You know? It was driving the group crazy. And me too, because I, you know, it was hard to get him in and out of hotels and out of his home. And it was difficult. Because he would do things over and over. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. He wouldn't come down. I had to tell him, like, the wrong time. You know, it was like an hour difference in time. He didn't look at the clock, so I said, look, I'm coming at a certain time, like an hour early, just to get him ready and stuff like that. Now, when he passed away, I mean, I, and I remember that, by the way, I mean, that kind of rocked the world. I mean, how did you take that all in during that day? 
It was horrible. I mean, he had lymphoma, cancer. So that was what uh, he passed away with, unfortunately. What, you know, what happened was, uh, I think it was the middle of winter, New Year's Eve, he went out of his house and slipped and broke his hip. And he was on uh, medication for the lymphoma, but he broke his hip. They had to take him off the medication to fix the hip. As soon as they took him off the medication, it, it got worse. He was doing okay under the medic medication for the lymphoma. But they had to take him off it. It got worse and worse. He passed away. Yeah, it was horrible. I mean, you don't want to see somebody you worked with all those years pass away like that. You know? No. Like with the rest of them, though, Johnny had prostate cancer. Tommy had bile duct cancer. And they were all like. Didi died the punk rock, the rock and roll life. He OD'd, unfortunately. I thought I thought he was, when he left the group initially that he would be the first one to like you know do right. a stupid thing. But he actually kept straight for a long, long time. I was amazed. Right. You know? But he had that that last thing in the later years yeah, that that did him in, unfortunately. Well, but but prostate but prostate cancer is easily treatable today. That's right? the thing. Well, here's the thing. Go to the doctor once or twice a year. Get tested. Johnny, you know, he was oh he eat good. I exercise, but you would. Good to go to the doctor enough, you know. By the time he went there and they, the diagnosis was too far along and he, he fought it for a, a couple of years, then it was too late. So go to the doctor, get the test. It can be easily cured. Yeah, because, I mean, right, I mean, you always hear, like, a family member constantly being diagnosed with prostate cancer. But as you said, rarely is it fatal. As you said, if they treat it in time. Now, so... All the Ramones, well, not all the Ramones, but all the original members have passed. But what's amazing, though, is the timing of the passing. Like, they, I mean, 49, 50s, I mean, they all passed away right in the 50-ish range. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what that's from or, you know, why that particular. But, but isn't that kind of odd? Yeah, true, you know. Uh, also, there's you know a lot of people. Uh, rock stars died 27. If you look over the true, true. Uh, so it's I don't know. I, you can look and read into what you want as far as the age goes. You know, I'm just go going back in the beginning. That Dee Dee was a huge creative creative person and songwriter for the band too. So you know, over the years. So when he left and CJ came in, he kept continued writing for the band, which was a great thing about that. Sorry to divert. Now, I remember, I think I, I was definitely in high school when Pet Cemetery came out. Uh, Stephen King's Pet Cemetery. And I remember watching the movie and the song came at the end. And I'm like, wow, this is a really great Ramon song. It's the first time I, I ever heard. Um, like I didn't hear the song before. I just heard it like after I watched the movie and Stephen King got a hold of the band, right? Even he was a big fan of the Ramones. Yes. He actually wrote bits of pieces of the Ramones into some of his books. It was like somebody's listening to a Ramones song. Blah, blah, blah. He was a huge Ramones fan. And um, so he wanted to have the Ramones play up in Bangor. So he brought us up there, the big civic center and headline of the show was cheap trick and uh, the Ramones. So after the show, he invites the Ramones back to dinner and to his house. Not cheap, cheap trick. They were really pissed off about that whole thing, you know. So we went back to his house, some Victorian mansion up in the woods there. 
he sat down and said, look, I, li I like to listen to like hard, fast music like you guys and write song, write my books like that, you know? So that's why he loved the Ramones. And he had, at that time, he said, I'm doing Pet Cemetery, write a song. Didi came up with that uh, Pet Cemetery song, which is great. It's a great song. Now, were you in Stephen King's house? Yeah, I went with them. So what was Stephen King like? He's great. I mean, he's like uh, really intense. You can tell how he write, wrote his book. Very intense type of guy. Mm -hmm. As I said, he likes, he said, I like to listen to like hard, loud music like you guys and to write when I'm listening to the music. Really nice guy. Really, really good. Really nice person. Now, was his house creepy? Yeah. It's like a Victorian mansion up in the woods there, you know? Were you the, creep? So you were creeped out when you're in yeah, the house? Yeah, well, the, well, the the gate in the front of his house had like bats on it and stuff like that. Oh, wow. <laughs> I was thinking, yeah, I mean, once you got inside, I was, you know, you can see how he wrote in, the, in his office and stuff like that. He was a very friendly guy. Very friendly guy. Did he stay overnight? At his house? No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Would you? <laughs> I don't know if he had enough rooms for everybody, but <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know if I would stay over his house overnight. It's kind of creepy. Oh, I mean, yeah. again, his books are, are crazy. Oh, yeah. So now, and he, he also wrote the song Poison Heart for, was that the sequel of Pet Cemetery? Not sure. Yeah, yeah. Remember, remember Poison Heart? Like, wasn't that? Uh, I don't, I'm not sure. You got me on that one. Okay. All right. I remember that too. I thought that was a sequel, uh, but something that he didn't write, but they seemed to do another song. Now, I mean, listen, it seemed like that the sum up the Ramones over the course of 22 years, they rocked hard, fast, and left. Is that right? Say that again. They rocked they hard and fast and left. Left. <laughs> it took a lot to leave. <laughs> it was a lot to leave. And a but lot. I, I, I think left. Yeah, they rocked hard, fast, and left. But I think that there wasn't this big goodbye. You know, like, you know, like artists, you know, that before they leave, they do like 20, you know. Farewell kind of, tours. Exactly. Well, there's a couple of times that Ramon said they were going to end it. Johnny really, he moved to L.A. and he wanted to end on a high note, basically. He didn't want to drag it out too much. And they finally got Lollapalooza, which happened to end in L.A. Johnny was there. And uh, so the last show, a lot of people came on stage and played with them. You know, Rancid. Um Eddie Vedder came up and sang a song, and uh, Soundgarden guy came up. And, uh, Chris Cornell. Lemmy, Lemmy was there, and he played that great song Lemmy wrote. It's terrific. Wow, that must have been a crazy jam between everybody. Yeah. Well, you know, they came up individually, uh, different songs. Sure. And you're familiar with this song Lemmy wrote, it was R-A-M-O-N-E-S. Yes. Amazing song. And he came up and sang it, you know, alongside CJ and stuff like that. That was the last show they ever did. It was kind of sad. And uh, I didn't, you know, a couple of times before that they said this is going to be the last one, this is going to be the last one. They finally got Lollapalooza offered. They did that. So, uh, you know, I, 
I thought they would probably get back together again, but it never happened. But after their final show, which was where? In, in, the, in L.A. In L.A. Yeah. What, and what venue was that? It was a palace. Mm-hmm. Palace. So, so during that time, there was like no big goodbye, right? It was just like after that show, it was yeah, like... John left right away. Joey hung out with Lemmy and CJ hung out. And Didi came up. Actually, Didi came up and sang a song. He forgot the words and stuff. It was like... <laughs> So, so the last show was kind of very anticlimactic, yes, right? For a band absolutely. that's been there for 22 years. Yes, it was. Is so, that because? And, and then why do you think that after 22 years? Well, they, you, as I said, they after shows they, they didn't hang out together, you know. And Johnny lived there, so he just ended the show and went home in, in L.A. Joey hung out for a while with everybody and stuff like that. Uh, but normally, when someone's been normally when there's nothing normal about their moans yeah right it's not like you know you're working for a company for 22 years and you have a going away party for you yeah there's no cake no cake (laughs) no cake and that's what i really find and and that's what i love about just just music and and the performers and the artists is because as you said there's nothing normal i mean typically someone we work at a company for 22 years. As you said, there's an event. Hey, there's a cake, you know, dinner. Right, right. But, but they're like all this work for 22 years, all the blood, sweat, tears, video shows, everything. Last show, no handshake. See you later. Yeah, well, it's Johnny, basically, you know. He just wanted to get out of there. It was, it was, it was a business with him, you know. And how about after every about, show? After, I'm sorry. After every show, he write down how much we made, how many people were there, and he had a little book. He kept diary, and then I also kept a diary with every show, you know, calendar. So that's why in the back of my book we list every single show that they ever played in the back of the book because he had his. I had my calendars, and he did uh, also had his uh, calendars and stuff. So we knew exactly where we were at what time. Yeah. And how did you feel during the last show? Like, what was going through your head? Well, sad. You know, I, I didn't think they would totally end. You know, I figured, you know, maybe down the line they'd get back together. But, uh, you know, Joey wasn't feeling that great and he needed a, a long rest. And Johnny said, This is it. Uh, he wanted to end on the high point. And, uh, I mean, Noaki would have gone on and CJ, of course, they would have both continued as much as they could you know what year was that 96 yes wow so can you like is there anything you can share with me <laughs> that i that nobody knows about the room <laughs> or is everything out there pretty much i've done so a million podcasts and lectures and stuff like that and put in a book and stuff like that so and there's so many different websites and Ramon sites that dug up things that everything's pretty much out there i really don't know where so so they pretty much they 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 laid their souls on the line everything's been said nothing's been unsaid about the Ramones which is by the way 
kind of cool because that's kind of what they were about, right? They were never about fakery or trickery. I mean, they just kind of like laid their souls on the line, right? Yeah, they put it out there. You know, they all put it out there. Not They didn't want to hide anything. So, uh, they, you know, people realized that and they, that's what they appreciated about the, the band. Now, after the, now, after the last show with the Ramones, they broke up and, and you still, you still tour managed, right? You still kind of work with some other artists. I worked a little with Degeneration and Ronnie Spector, did one thing with Bull Winter. Oh yeah, a little bit. I did, I did a little bit of stuff after that. And so now, now, did, okay. And how old were you then? Like, like, were you like, how old were you when you kind of kiboshed the whole tour managing with artists? Well, my, 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 here's my thing. My, my thing is, so, so what did he do afterwards? Did he transition into something else? Well, yeah, well, yeah, as I said, I got a couple of the groups I started working with and, uh, for a year or two. And then, uh, I got a nice job at the New York Hall of Science as the audiovisual supervisor uh, in Queens, Forest Hills. Uh, not Forest Hills, Toronto. So I was over there for about 16 and a half years after. You know, I did a few uh, jobs tour managing other bands a little bit briefly, and then I transitioned into uh, as an audiovisual supervisor over at the New York Hall of Science for about 16 and a half years. And then after that, Right now, I'm doing some part-time work at a Queen's Theater in the, in the Corona. You know where the Men in Black Towers are? The yeah, park. yeah. There's a theater over there. I, I do some part-time work there in house management. So I transitioned over from tour, touring in, into uh, other things, basically. So do you like where you're at right now? Well, you know, the whole thing uh, with the pandemic and all that kind of put a you know, the theaters closed down for a, a long time. It was like rough there for a couple of years. They're gradually getting back, and uh, uh, yeah, that's okay. I mean, I, I don't know if I could handle going on the road again. That's that's stressful, you know. Uh, have you? I mean, have you thought about it though? I mean, we were like, you know, maybe I would love going on the road. Like, have I, you thought about it? I think about it, but then I think about how <laughs> how stressful it is. It's a big. It's a lot of it's a lot of work. People don't realize that road managing, tour managing. There's lots of things going on. It, as I said before, you're dealing with a band, crazy band, and a crazy crew, which is doubles the amount of nutty people that are around you. And there's a lot of things: equipment, uh, transportation, hotels, venues, motors, fans, press agents, record companies. It's, it's a big thing. That's why I wrote in my book a lot what, what it's like to be a tour manager put a lot of uh, information in there. If you, if you notice like the rooming, uh, rooming lists and the uh, riders and stuff like that. But, just, but the biggest thing is like the lack of sleep. Uh, <laughs> you get used to that. Uh, you know, you, if you're a younger, younger person, you can handle all that stuff. You know? But I mean, no, I mean, to me, when I was, I don't know, maybe 18. You're familiar with the PNC Bank Art Center, right? Yes. So what I did is during college, I would work 
By the way, did the Ramones ever play the PNC before? No. No. All right. So I would, I would, you know, I was a hired stagehand and I worked during the summers during college. And for instance, I remember like Aerosmith would roll in and I'd have to be there at like 5 a.m. And, you know, set, you know, set up the show, which would probably now not, not all shows, but some of the bigger ones, you may not get out until like four o'clock. So 5 a.m. to four, four o'clock. And then he had to be back at, I don't know, like 10 o'clock and then rip the show down, which could be like two o'clock. You're going home at two o'clock, two thirty, and then he got to wake up the next day. Well, so, that's the, you know, I was lucky enough to uh, you know you, you work your way up. In the beginning, it was we didn't have huge harassment equipment and stuff like that. Sure. So I mean, in the early years, I was doing everything pretty much, you know, driving and setting up equipment and uh, doing the sound. And the bigger they got, the more people we hire. You know, drum roadies, guitar roadies, crew. So I worked my way up to road manager, then tour manager, which I travel with the band, which is the nice part about it. I didn't have to go with the crew. So they, the crew had to get there early. The crew had to stay late. I just came in with the band, do the sound check, went back to the hotel, blah, blah, coordinated things, put the band back, on stage, blah, blah, pick up the money, then leave. And then the crew would stay there and break down. So luckily, that's why I worked my way up into to the tour managing business there, which is much easier than being a regular crew, you know? Because the crew never sleeps. Yes, the crew never sleeps. Tour manager gets to sleep with the band. <laughs> now, and basically, I mean, being the tour manager, I would say generally, I mean, a tour manager to me is a manager. I, I, because... I understand the manager deals with the creative aspect, right? Supposedly the creative aspect, but I mean, I I think in today, many artists end up hiring their tour manager and replacing the original manager. Well, yeah, you could transition to that, you know, but they had like a powerful manager at the end there, Derek Herfers. So, you know, the manager deals with uh, getting dealing with the record company directly and with albums and selling songs or whatever. And uh, it's a whole different aspect what the, the manager actually does, you know, getting a uh, good booking agents and uh, press dealing with press people, uh, getting press people and stuff like that. It's a whole different thing. You know? Actually, you know, when I, well, let's just go back to what I did after <laughs> I forgot after Ramon's, Retired in 96, Marky Ramon approached me and said, look, I'm, I'm gonna, I want you to manage me. So I actually managed Marky Ramon. And, it's, and in, it, Marky Ramon and Intruders. And I got a, a deal for two records and put him out on the road with someone other, uh, another tour manager. So I actually did manage him for a little bit. It's a whole, uh, another world being a manager. So so did he release something during the time you were managing him? Did yeah, yes. Two albums came out. Marky so Ramon... We, and so the intruders. Okay, so were you dealing with the label? Yeah, was yeah, I got them the deal. I got them the deal. I uh, got them the uh, booking agents, put them on the road, and then put them out with a, a, another crew. I didn't go on the road. I stayed back being the manager, dealing with that. 
which was different. And it was okay, but it didn't really click well with me. So I, I was there for about a year and a half. We, we parted amicably, and uh, he went on got other managers. Now he's basically Mark Ramon. Uh, he's, he does mostly Ramon songs. So I am going to kind of sum this up with the Ramones. Well, first of all, I think that you lived a, a lifestyle that a lot of people wish they had, like on the road, traveling countries and, and doing all this stuff. But a lot of people don't realize, like, it's a hard lifestyle. I mean, it's a real job, hard lifestyle. And, um, but it's rewarding because the fact that you can go to sleep at night knowing that I did a lot of things a normal person would not do, right? I mean, yeah, yeah, you get to travel the world and see a lot of things, which is amazing. You just got to get used to traveling a lot, living out of suitcase. Also, you know, people, you know, like relationships, girlfriends would go say, Hey, you're there partying, you know. That, you know, people go to a show, they they watch the band on stage and have a drink. Me, I, I kind of explain, I'm not there to party. I'm there working. It's a hard job, you know. A lot of, a lot of girlfriends would say, hey, well, you, you're partying, you're having a great time. It was, it, was, it was rough kind of maintaining a good relationship, you know. That was the down part about touring a lot, you know. Yeah, and that the fact that, right, you missed holidays. I mean, you... Right. I mean, you when you're touring, the double the, the, the problem is it's like you love touring, but then as you're touring, you feel like you're missing out on other things sometimes. Yeah, family life, basically. Family life. Now during that time, I'm not sure your personal life, but during that time when you, did, did did you have any children at all? I had a uh, stepchild. No, no, yeah. no, goddaughter, goddaughter over years and stuff like that. Okay. But it was, as I said, it was hard because all these women I meet, they, you got to take me on tour. You got to, you're going here. Why don't you take me? I couldn't, you know, the Ramones are not a huge group that I could afford to take along my, you know, spouse or not my girlfriend or whatever. And they didn't understand that, you know, so it was really hard because because when they were, when they did go on shows, they said, hey, it's a, it's a party. Everybody's drinking, having a good time. I said, no, I'm working. You know, it's not, it's not a party, basically. So it was hard for them to understand that. That was the rough part of that. Now, did you remember actually the show that I attended? Um, the Ramon show was in New Jersey, Where? in Capitol Se Theater, Seabright. What? Where was it? Was it a small club or something? Yeah, Trade Winds. Ah, uh, I think I remember that. Do you remember that? Did they have tables and people eating food and stuff? No, 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 no. Uh, oh, maybe back, may, maybe, maybe, um, but not in the main thing, but it was crazy. Let me see if I can say the date. The Ramones, Trade Winds, New Jersey. Uh, someone looked stuff up. Trade Winds, New Jersey. Let me see when they played. Oh, September 23rd. 1993. Wow. Yep. Okay. I, you know, there's so many places they played. I, well, that was, that, that was, that, that was part of their 2000 plus shows, but you know what? It was crazy. 
like I remember I really didn't know what to expect out of the a Ramon show. Mm-hmm. But I didn't I, I wasn't expecting to see craziness. I didn't know if it was just happened to be that night, that venue, or was it always crazy like that? Well, what do you say? What made you uh, say crazy? Well, 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 well. The mosh pits and the... Yeah, the pits and... and Yeah, the pits and ironically, I think that might have been just that place, but I can remember like a lot of fights. Well, I shouldn't say fights. All I know is the bouncers were constantly throwing people out of that show. Really? Wow. I didn't notice that. Uh, You know, in the early years, when they first started playing in clubs, managers or club owners would come over to me, club managers and owners, and they didn't understand what was going on because they never saw, like, mosh pits and people jumping around and and jumping off the stage. That's why we had to, after a number of shows, we we said nobody gets on stage. Johnny didn't want anybody getting on stage. So we had to have barriers, good barriers in front. But at times, club owners would come over to me and say, what's going on? There's a riot going on in the audience. I said, no, that's, that's a, they're having fun, you know, in the mosh pits and slam dancing and stage surf, surf, crowd surfing, all that stuff. In the beginning, the, the, they didn't know, the club owners didn't know what was going on. They got scared, you know. I had to explain to them that the kids are there having fun, basically. Good, fun. <laughs> <laughs> they're like, what are these kids doing? Yeah. It got it could be dangerous in there, those mosh pits and stuff like that. And then the band didn't want anybody getting on stage, so we had to good, have good, strong barriers and security in the barriers to make, push people off to make sure they didn't get on stage and stuff like that. You know, because there's times that these clubs got these crappy barriers and they were like collapsing and stuff. And it got dangerous there for a while. I mean, so probably it was the Ramones were probably. They're probably the band to start mosh pits, right? Well, yeah, start, yeah. We started with the Ramones. I mean, right? I mean, who well, else would yeah, start with? Along with those groups that were in the in the time period, uh, the earlier punk groups started all that stuff too. Yeah. yeah. Now, who was the other? Uh, who who was the other um, group that kind of? I was reading another book. What was that band? Kind of that glam band. In the eighties, what was the Lord of the New Church? Hmm, I'm not sure with that. No. Okay, all right. Well, like you said, th- th- there was another band that that talked about Toby Ramon, just just an interesting guy, and um, they they were another kind of influential band. Um, Dead Boys, or- the Dead Boys. Who was the singer for the Dead Boys? Uh, Steve Vader. Right. And right. Cheetah Chrome, Cheetah Chrome. I think he, Cheetah Chrome was in another group called Maybe the Lords of the Church or something. Now, now, did he know those guys? Yeah, sure, because they all hung out uh, at CBGB's and Hilly managed them. You know that, right? Okay. No, I didn't know that. Yeah. They were big uh, Ramones fans and they hung around CBGB's a lot. And they managed them. They, we first saw them in uh, Cleveland. They were kids. And uh, what, the thing I do remember is. Uh, the Ramones played, and they were hanging around. And then after the show, we're, we get on the highway. We're, we're driving 60 miles an hour. This car pulls up. Steve Bader climbs up on the roof and moons, moons the band. We're going 60 miles an hour down the highway, and he gets on and moons the band from the top of the car. And that I remember. He was a crazy guy. 
Now he passed away, right? Yes. In Paris somewhere? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Cheetah's still around doing stuff. Cheetah crawl. So so they came out after the Ramones, right? Yes. That boy's they were it. influenced by the Ramones. As I said, we played Cleveland and they were kids and they saw the band and they, they were influenced by them. Now the whole so so do you ever the East Village scene, right? I mean, when you think of CBGBs and, and the East Village in New York, you can't help not to think of the Ramones, the punk scene. That's pretty much been whitewashed today, right? Yeah, it's uh, another world down there. It's, you know, Yuppieville and stuff. Uh, John Varvados bought the store and bought CBGBs. And he's, it's a high-class, extremely expensive clothing store like t-shirts are like eighty dollars ninety dollars for a t-shirt or something like that um he kept the inside he gutted the inside out and kept some of the if you go there you can see some he's a bigger uh music fan so some stuff left over from the original uh walls and stuff from cbgb's down there but the whole neighborhood yeah it's totally changed it's like nyu bought a lot of dorms down there and, uh, it's another world now high-class restaurants you know when we were down there it was the bowery's a dump you know it was bums running around salvation army you didn't want to you know it wasn't a pleasant place to be around basically you know that's why all these artists gravitated to that area at the time because it was cheap you could, you could live down there cheaply and, and uh was another world back then it was dangerous the alphabet city abc's you didn't want to go down there now it's like uh east village is incredible you know Really nice. Do you like it? Do you like it better? <laughs> I'd like to live down there now. <laughs> <laughs> it's too expensive now. <laughs> no, you know, but that I was working down there basically, so uh, you know, I, I dealt with the dangers of, of uh, getting in and out of there. So I just miss the culture. I would say. I mean, I, I I'm all in for improvement, but. There's something to be said when when something replaces art and culture and vibe. And I think that's happened a lot. I think in this country, um, you know, I went down to Venice Beach in, in California not too long ago. And, like, the whole vibe is gone. I, I mean, like, you had all these tech companies buy buildings. And it's like, wh where can artists go today? Like, is That's there any thing. place? Is there any place you can go to get inspired outside of their bedrooms on like opening up social media? Like, where can they go to get inspired? It's not very inspired. It's like where can you go to to afford to be there and, and do your thing? You know, pursue your art, music, or yeah, being an artist. Back then, these village was you know there's a lot of buildings that are falling apart. You can get in there cheap and uh, do your thing. Back then, you know, now. It's kind of moving. It went to Williamsburg, then Greenpoint, and now Astoria. It kind of moves around a bit where, you know, it's a little more affordable for people to come in and rent and have a space where you can maybe rehearse a band or do, do art, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I know. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, I'm like, I'm always thinking, like, where, 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 where can you go to get inspired? Where, where can you find that by? But, um, yeah, I mean, technology obviously has, has taken a place of so many things today. Well, 
Well, listen, um, Monte Melnick, I mean, this was a, um, I, I, I loved having this discussion and, um, I mean, I, I just, just the fact that, um, uh, I mean, it, it, it's just so cool. It's, it's so amazing because when I'm talking to you, I feel like I'm reliving like the Ramones history. Like, I, I feel like you are a Ramon. <laughs> well, I, I don't like to say that seriously. I mean, I, I, I get that. I get that. But you know what I'm saying? Like, not. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was but, there long enough. You know, the, the only other person that was there as long as me was Arturo Vega. He was like huge influence. He designed the logo and he was there from the beginning also. And if he was still around, it was myself and Arturo were there from the beginning and it unfortunately passed away a number of years ago. But he was—he could be another Ramon, basically. I mean, that logo alone—it's incredible. He was a great lighting director, and a terrific artist, and stuff like that. Speaking of artists, the cover of my book was done by John Holmstrom. Oh wow! Punk the magazine. fame. Oh yeah, of course. From Punk Magazine. So I, what I was trying to come up with, basically. You know, writing the book sure what to put on the cover because i worked this there were eight different ramones over the years you know right so you know i didn't want to put a picture different pictures of eight photos of them up there so i said what's what's a good thing to do with like a cartoon and have john holmstrom do the cover and he threw me in there with the, all the eight ramones in the van there we're driving out of this city cbgb's and the pinheads uh following them and, and if you look on the bottom here uh there's a sign Mm -hmm. 2,263 miles to go. You know what that mm -hmm. means, right? Sure, sure. Yeah, that was a little thing I put in there. Uh, that's how many shows they actually played over the years, and I list them all in the back of the book. If you look at Johnny's wearing a uh, Yankees t-shirt and Joey's reading a punk magazine and Yoo-Hoo stuff and things flying off. They did like Yoo-Hoo, by the way. They had it on the lighter. Wow. So this bottle's of Yoo-Hoo flying off the van. So that, that was nice that he did the cover for me. Yeah, no, that's, that's, um, that's incredible. And, um, you know, like I said, that book is incredible. I mean, there's a lot of chapters, but I think um, anyone that wants to truly know kind of like the life the Ramones lived, I mean, again, I mean, it, it pretty much goes through everything. Um, from... I, I really liked Halfway to Sanity, Inside the Machine, the Crew, the Stage Show. That's what I liked about it. I liked the fact that, like, even like the crew, they were kind of like had the same personalities as the band. It was like a one big kind of family, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what happens when you tour, 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 tour uh, with the crew. Like, everybody's a family, basically, you know, because you're together enough, you know, you're hanging out enough. I mean, Road to Ruin, Girls, Love and Trouble. I mean, typical girls, you know, kind of can be the downfall of a band. Uh, the Rare Videos, Press Management. And um, yeah, and, and End of the Century, the breakup, the aftermath, the end. And that's kind of how I want to leave it. I mean, yeah. they, 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 they rocked hard um, and fast and... They kind of left with no big, as you said, no big goodbyes, no birthday cake. Everyone went their separate ways. 
No one even shook hands. But hey, we changed the world. We were a band ahead of their time, ahead of our time. We're rock and roll hall of famers. We did it. Yes. I'm happy to be part of that. Part of rock and roll history, part of a movement, which let me guess. There's no way you plan that out. This just all happened without you knowing, right? It's not not knowing. It's just you're working and you don't say, hey, this is the rock and roll history going on. You know, you just just want to get to the next city and make sure everything goes right. You're just working and it just kind of happened. It just, just, you kind of fell into it. Yeah, if you're doing your job well, things uh, happen. That's what I believe. You work hard. And, and things happen. Well, all right, Monte Melnick. Again, it was a pleasure. And um, thank you, Dean, for having th- me. Th- thank you for sharing the stories. Thank you for sharing your wisdom and, and, and part of the Ramon history. Thank you. Gaba, gaba, hey.